I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to The Contest and Me, a podcast from the Euro Trip. Hello, everybody, and welcome. We are back with yet another episode of The Contest and Me, here from us at the Euro Trip, your favourite, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast. I know that you know that already. I am Rob, as ever, joined by the man that conducted this week's very interesting interview on The Contest and Me. Hello, James Rowe. Hi, Rob. Hi, everyone. Isn't it great to be back? It almost feels like two years since we did an episode and I know it's only been a week but I've just had a really hectic few days so it kind of feels like I've been away forever Uh, but I'm so glad to be back as you say we've done another episode of the contest and me this week chatting to a well-known fan of the Eurovision Song Contest Uh, this week it is none other than journalist uh, from Sweden from Aftonbladet it's Toby Ek. yeah always delighted when we return to one of our favourite nations. Me and you love a bit of Sweden, don't we, on the podcast, <laughs> as you will well know from our Melfest Monday coverage when Melody Festivalen's taking place. And one of the men that often joins us on that Melfest coverage is the man you mentioned there, Toby Ek, a fascinating individual, a man who has covered many a Eurovision Song Contest over the last decade and more, and his love for Eurovision goes back even further than that as well. Yeah, working for Sweden's leading daily newspaper, Aftonbladet, Toby knows it all, he gets the scoops, he's been to Eurovision more times than I care to mention Melfest as well, and we hear some fascinating stories about his time working at the contest and also... Of course, growing up in Sweden, Eurovision and Melody Festival runs through your veins. So there's so many tremendous stories that are going to be coming your way over the next hour or so. Yeah, it's a really good one. So make sure you stay there and enjoy this week's episode of The Contest and Me. Yeah, here we are then, back with you for a brand new episode of The Contest and Me. Episode number four of this series. I can't believe episode number four already. It's going to be the fourth fascinating figure uh, to come your way that we're chatting to on this series in 2022. Why do you keep laughing, Rob? Why do you always laugh? Fourth fascinating figure. It was a lovely <laughs> bit of alliteration. I liked it very much. Yeah, of course. Uh, it's Toby Eck this week. We'll get to him very shortly. Last week, though, we spoke to Dr. Eurovision himself, Paul Jordan, who was another great chat. He has been involved in the Eurovision Song Contest for many, many years. Uh, and we got this tweet from Lee on Twitter. We are at Eurotrip Podcast. Of course, Paul 
Of course he did. He mentioned Euphoria. I think everybody has mentioned Euphoria Hard not uh, on the to. contest in me this uh, this year so far. And we've got Toby Eck from Sweden. I imagine we'll we'll chat about Euphoria again. Uh, and Lee got in touch and said, I was at Manchester Pride this weekend and heard Euphoria in numerous clubs. It still sounds amazing. Yes, it does. Also, Gina G was heard a lot. Paul Jordan mentioned Gina G from back in the 90s. Yeah, two great anthems that you'll always hear at Pride events. Yeah, if you haven't heard that chat that I had with Paul Jordan yet, Dr. Eurovision, the previous episode of The Contest to Me, go back, have a listen. It was fascinating, as they always are, including we trailed it a lot on last week's episode, but if you've not heard it, you won't have heard me say this, but there's a taxi journey in Belgrade that you're going to want to hear about as well. Um, while we're on the subject, and you mentioned it there, the tweet that we got about hearing Eurovision songs out in the wild, which, as you know full well, is one of my favourite things of all time. I've got some more offerings for you from just this weekend. Oh, yes, please. So I was at an Israeli restaurant on Sunday, which was exciting in itself. And I heard two of the class of 2022 while I was there. You'll be unsurprised to hear that one was, of course, Ben Michael David and his entry for Israel. Any guesses on what the other Eurovision song from 2022 I heard played at that restaurant? Uh, I'm going to say it's a song that's done fairly well since the contest. So I'm going to guess Rosalind with Snap. Yeah, that would make sense. It wasn't. I presume it wasn't then. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't that. Uh, was it Was it the winner, Kalish Orchestra? No, that would also have made sense. Spaceman would also have made sense. Maybe Spain as well, that would have made sense. Even Cornelia Jacobs, that would have made sense. Uh, no, it was uh, it was LPS and Disco for Slovenia. Oh, blimey. That's not a song I've heard since the, since the crashed out of the semi-final in May. <laughs> yeah, as you can imagine, when I was tucking into my lunch, I was very taken aback that the people I was with didn't understand the significance, so I thought I'd share it with you. Well, actually, funnily enough, I wasn't going to mention this, but I will since you have. I was, um, you know, I lead a very glamorous life. I was um, walking through the city of Sunderland the other day and I walked past a, a Greasy Spoon Cafe and they were uh, they were packing up, putting the tables and chairs back inside and they were blaring, Hey Mama, from Moldova 2017. That's even more niche. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not more niche than LPS and disco in an Israeli <laughs> restaurant, but that is niche. Yeah, if you've, if you've heard any more, we've done this before on the podcast, but if you've heard any more Eurovision songs in the wild, do let us know at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Do get in touch. Yeah, and every week, as well as telling you to get in touch, you know, Twitter and Instagram and, and the like and the email as well, hello at eurotrippodcast.com if you're interested. Uh, we also ask you to leave your reviews if you are enjoying what you're hearing. And thank you to Johnny, who left us a review earlier in the month that we haven't had the chance to read out on the podcast yet. Johnny, this is the best title for a review ever. You left this review on Apple Podcasts. You're welcome to do the same, everybody. Uh, the title of the review is simply The Greatest. So he goes on to say, quite simply, the greatest Eurovision podcast out there. I can't thank Rob and James enough for all the hard work they put in each week in order to make it happen. Cheers, boys. Isn't that nice? That is lovely. I, I'd not seen that. I'd not read that before. So yeah, that, <laughs> that's really nice. That's really touched me. So uh, yeah, I'd love to hear more of those. If you if you haven't left us a, a review already, uh, then make sure you do so. You can't do it on Spotify yet, I don't think. So if you're an Apple podcast listener, uh, then uh, head over and uh, leave us a review and write some kind words out and, and melt my heart yet again. You say you can't do it on Spotify, can't leave any nice words, but you can leave a rating. So do pop that five stars on Spotify as well. This is the Eurotrip, this is the contest in me. So shall we get us 
inside. I was going to say inside or into. Either sounds wrong, but we'll go with it anyway. Shall we hear from? Oh, we're carrying on, are we? Okay, yeah, I'm sure. going to carry on. I'm going to carry on. I've, I've got some lunch to eat. Shall we hear from the one and only Toby Eck? Looking forward to being inside and into Toby Eck <laughs> on the way in the next few minutes. Yeah, Toby Eck, one of our best pals here on the podcast. Him, I would put him in the same league as who else is in that list? Bella Kvist, uh Toby, obviously, I've already said that. I, I just Maybe just Swedes, actually. Just Swedes on the list. No, that's not true. Zoe London, Scott Bryan, they get a shout out as well. There's, there's plenty of others. We love you all. Yeah, maybe you need to go and make an official list and, and tell all the people you've put on the list so they don't feel left out in this bit. But it's, it's funny you mentioned Sweden, isn't it? Because this is the first in the series we are leaving the, the British Isles. We are heading over to uh, to Sweden for the first time on this series. And it is great to do so with Toby Eck. He's been on the podcast so many times before and we know he's a, he's a fascinating figure. He may um, split opinion, shall we say. Um, but we think he's absolutely fascinating. He does such a tremendous job covering Melody Festival and covering the Eurovision Song Contest. And because he's done both of those for for so, so long, you can imagine the kind of stories he has stored up under that snapback hat of his. Yeah, you say he splits opinion, and he does, but he doesn't split opinion on this podcast. As you said, me and you, both big fans of Toby. And one of the reasons that he does split opinion does go back to the winner's press conference and managed in at Eurovision 2021 when he was the journalist that asked them all about what they may or may not have been doing in the green room. Well, James, well done for asking him about that. So that does come up later on. Yeah, we'll get to the bottom of that. If uh, if you can cast your minds back to, to 2021 and that winner's press conference moment, you hear from the horse's mouth himself. Uh, but of course, we hear about his love for Eurovision growing up. We find out from another guest who recalls the time of recording the Eurovision Song Contest on VCR. Do you remember a VCR cassette tape? Those were... Those were the days. And he has a favourite Eurovision song, which, if you sort of discount Euphoria, because we've talked about it so many times on the podcast so far this series, is a song you will not be expecting. So let me tell you that for sure. Yeah, I teased it on last week's episode of The Contest of Me. I think last week, Paul Jordan took us back to 1985. This week, we're going back even further. Back to the 1970s. But that's all I shall be saying. The, the song choice is great, by the way, so make sure you... Stay tuned in to find out what it is. But shall we get into it? This is my conversation with Toby Eck here on The Contest and Me. Toby Eck, welcome to The Contest and Me. Thank you so very much. It's a it's a privilege, as ever, to have you on the podcast. I'm, I was trying to count how many times you've been on the podcast, but I ran out of fingers. So, uh, we're, we're, we're leaving. So, so the privilege <laughs> is, is on me, actually. I'm very honoured to, uh, to be here again. It's, it's great to have you. And it's great to have another Swedish person on. We, we spoke to Bella Christ last year and uh, Petra Merda, of course. So you're um, Swede number three. Um, let's begin with, um, with what we do with everybody and the 2022 Eurovision Song Contest. Toby, you were there. We, we had a very brief chat. I remember it well. Uh, what are your standout memories from this year's Eurovision Song Contest? There are a few. Um, one being that... Um, the, the, the competition or, or the, um, uh, the organization was as expected, chaotic. <laughs> uh, um, I would com- compare it to the, uh, 19, 1991, uh, broadcast from Italy. 
even though the actual broadcast wasn't as chaotic as uh, all the preparations were, where where nothing uh, no, nothing seemed to, to to keep track of time and everything. There there were nobody to answer anything. Um, so so that that's one thing. Um, the other thing is uh, how much I enjoyed the. Uh, the winner and the winning song and and how i'm i'm still trying to fight those saying that this is such a political win because uh i, I actually don't think it is i the, i i don't consider it being they won just because of the war they they won one uh Kalush orchestra won because they evoke emotions i've said this a couple of times before the song Already before uh, uh, the invasion of Ukraine, it was top five with the with with the betting companies, and um, it is a song that that evokes emotions and people will vote for something where they feel something, and this is what th- this is one of the songs where they actually felt something. Do you remember what it was like in in the press room with everybody else there? Because I, you know you've mentioned that people were having those thoughts about whether people were lending Ukraine their support because of the war. What do you think the other thoughts and conversations were like in the press room? Do you think most agreed with you, or do you think there were some others who were having similar thoughts to some of the public? Well, we need to understand that that the press room consists of of mostly fans. So, so, so if 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 we have that as a uh, as a starting point, uh, this uh, the Spaniards in the press room, uh, of course, con- considered themselves being robbed of a victory. Uh, I, I heard that so many times already in in the week coming up to the final. Um, the Brits, somewhat the same, but not as much. And uh, that that has been more from fans uh, uh, outside of the press room, I'd say. In the uh, but you're to, back to your question. Um, um, in the press room, there's always other favorites than the ones that end up top. Uh, we had, of course, um, uh, Olami Bebebe uh, that became a fan favorite and a press room favorite uh, in Turin, and and we also have the, what are their names? It's their third time in the competition. I've already forgotten them. Moldova, Moldova, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> Circus Mirkus. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, stub, stub the dub. Yeah, you said it much better than I probably Something would have. Something like that. I'm, <laughs> I'm confused. Yes, uh, they uh, they were a clear press room favorite. Whenever this song uh, came on, uh, people were dancing and shouting. Uh, I would probably have preferred Norway to to be the uh, the kind of joke entry uh, to 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 have done as well as as as. Uh, uh, Moldova did, but uh, we knew from from uh, f- from how the reaction in the press room were that they would do well. Some great memories there. Uh, I want to take it really, really far. Well, I was going to say really, really far back. That makes it sound like you're really old. I, I didn't mean that in the slightest. I, I, I am. I. Well, well, we might we might sort of figure it out as we go to the next question. As we turn back time. And find out what your first ever Eurovision memory is. Can you cast your mind back that far, Toby? I will try. The thing is, I uh, I consider myself being an early or, or young Eurovision fan. That that it it came came to me really really early. But when I think back, I must have been at least um, I must have been at least seven. I really remember when 
not seeing that uh, Hooray's Brothers won in 1984, but the song uh, was so um, was such a hit in Sweden. And I remember waking up the day after getting to know that they had won. Uh, and and that was a song that that we were singing all through all through that year. The years after, I remember more and more of watching the Eurovision until Sandra Kim won in in eighty six, uh, and she was only a few years older than I was. So so <laughs> so I, I remember that being really fun. And um, the year that I remember most vividly is nineteen eighty seven. I was ten back then. That is the first year that we had recorded on VCR, on video. So I, I watched it over and over again. But we, uh, I was so upset with this because my father forgot to hit record. So the first three songs were out of the, of, of, of the video. Oh, so, no. Uh, yeah, so, so I, <laughs> I, 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 I think we uh, entered in somewhere in the middle of song four. Uh, and those are the songs I remember mostly from then on. You've got to tell us a bit more about this, because I remember specifically when we spoke to Petra last year, and she was telling us about when you grew up in Sweden, Eurovision and Melody Festivalen is is almost like a religion. It just sort of runs through your life. Do you remember when you were, you know, when you were seven, eight, nine years old, you, the music that goes through your life are the songs that are competing in Melody Festivalen? Very much so. Uh, and... You asked about my early Eurovision memories, but in Sweden, most people would probably have their first Melody Festival in memories uh, rather than, uh, than, than the Eurovision memories uh, because Melfest is, is such a staple and nowadays it's also catering much, much more also to the, to the family audience. Uh, but one of my early memories there is also, that's also 84 um, I can't remember watching 83. That is a legendary year in Sweden since that is when Carola entered and when, w- w- her breakout. And that year where she, she was the, the winner of everything in Sweden. She, she had the most sold album. Uh, she had a sold out tour. That Her debut album is, as far as I know, it's still the most sold album by a Swedish artist in Sweden. Wow, really? Yeah, and it might have changed due to streaming and how they count and all that. But but th- this has that that's it lasted at least until the early two thousands, uh, and um, it's it's such an amazing um, success story with Corolla. But for my early memories, it's it's rather the year after with with the Harris brothers and their song, and then come again the year after that. Uh, having Kiki Danielsson in Melfest, but uh, also having Penilla Wahlgren. Um, uh, we had a few more unknown, like Vicky Benket, uh, who had a song, Livet uh, Eisometred, that I absolutely loved that year. From then on, I, I remember watching Melfest Mel every year and uh, growing, growing m- more and more into it. And I remember 
the year that I that 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 cemented my Melfest and Eurovision fascination was in 1989. There was a um, just ahead of of uh, of the Melody Festival and final, uh, SVT, the Swedish broadcaster, had a a one hour special uh, where, where they showed old clips from Eurovision and Melfest. Uh, together with a few songwriters and and a very well known TV host at that time um, was presenting that Elisabeth Andreasen, who's competed both for Sweden and Norway, were present in the studio, um, and I recorded that as well on video. And I watched that over and over and over and over again. Uh, so, uh, so so a lot of the songs that I love from Eurovision is actually from that one hour. TV special that I got to see when I was uh, 12 years old. And from then on, I knew that I was a Melfest and, and Eurovision fan. <laughs> I knew we'd end up talking a bit about Melody Festival and <laughs> with you coming on, which is absolutely fine by me. And you've sort of jumped the gun, which I'm also fine with, because we were going to talk about the moment you first fell in love with Eurovision. Do you think that was the moment then in 1989 when you're watching that TV show you record it on on video and then just watch it time and time and time again. Is that when the love really kicked in, do you think? The love started a couple of years earlier. I remember um, the, the, first, the, the first year we videoed it was 87. And that is one of the years that I remember most, uh, most out of the songs. But the year after, 88... Uh, I cut out all the newspaper articles and all the uh, the uh, the reviews of the songs that that is is done yearly in Sweden still, uh, and I saved all that together with the VC, uh, the video cassette. Uh, and uh, so so it it actually it started eighty which year am I eighty seven eighty eight eighty nine and eighty nine it was cemented. This was okay. I'm I'm going to be the guy that watches this and tells the family to shut up because it's <laughs> the songs now, so you better shut up. But also make sure that you listen because you're going to vote soon because I'm going to make you vote. <laughs> We've all been that person sitting as close to the TV as possible, telling the family to shut up. It's sort of a, a rite of passage as a Eurovision or Melfest fan, isn't it? I think it is, yeah. <laughs> yes. Let's move on to some of the more difficult questions, because this is where it gets, I would say it gets a bit more difficult, uh, as we try and figure out, or you try and figure out at least, uh, your favourite Eurovision year, and you can use that question in whatever way you want to figure out your answer. Could be one you've been to, could be one you enjoyed watching when you were younger. Uh, where are you going with this one? Um, I'm, I'm going to go for 1987 and 1989 because they so much cemented my fascination for Eurovision. I watched those shows over and over and over again. I knew the Swedish commentary by heart. Uh, I, 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 I watched the scoring. I knew how, I, how the artists would react. I, I watched it so many times and, and uh, the, um, so many of the songs from those two years have... Uh, are, are still kind of my my guilty pleasures, or or not even so that they they are major hits for me, in, 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 and probably only for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so so I I will I, I will say eighty eighty seven and eighty nine. 
we've we've chatted a bit about those years, so I want to try and get some more information out of you because we know uh, through the work you do um, at Aftonbladet currently uh, how often you are appearing at Melody Festival and at the Eurovision Song Contest. When was the first time you attended Eurovision, either as a journalist or, or as a fan? When was the first time you went? Eurovision was uh, not until 2006 when I was sent there uh, uh, by Aftonbladet. It was my first year at Eurovision. Uh, Melfest, I attended the Melfest final in 1999 uh, because a friend of mine said, oh, we can get tickets for this. Let's let's go there. And and we bought tickets. We went there and we were looking like, okay, row one, where on the in the bleachers are that? <laughs> oh, no, it's up front. We are sitting in row one. Uh, Okay, uh, and that was it, it. Was really cool, really uh, a really good and fun experience. This was when Charlotte uh, Nilsson, um, Charlotte uh, Pirelli, uh, won with Tusen and Åkernatt in Swedish, and then in Eurovision, of course. Uh, but unfortunately, I have no idea why I didn't realize that I should have gotten tickets for the uh, the two thousand Eurovision in Stockholm. Uh, yeah, I was going to say that was my burning question. If you've gone to yeah. Melfest in 99, Sweden wraps up Eurovision in 99, and then it, it comes home to, to Stockholm, and you didn't... I'm a moron. I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I can't say. Uh, I have no idea why I didn't go. Uh, I should have. Uh, so my first Eurovision was in Athens 2006. I got to know about OGAE and, and the fan clubs and the fan community, had I known about that, I would probably have joined way earlier. Uh, and You'd have uh, definitely gone to Eurovision 2000, let's put it that way. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, absolutely. So if 2006 was your first contest, um, have you been every year since? No. Uh, every year except for 2010, because I was... Um, from from 2009 until 2012, I was the, the UK correspondent for Aftonbladet. And that first year, I was allowed to return to Sweden for Melfest. But my editor felt that, okay, you've been away from London too long now. We need you here for, for Eurovision. Uh, we, need you, we need you back in London during Eurovision, and we're going to send somebody else to that competition. Um, and then, of course, Sweden didn't qualify. Um, so the year after, they sent me back to Eurovision to make sure that Sweden would qualify. Maybe you are the, maybe you're the lucky charm for Sweden. You, the only year you've missed is the only year they've not qualified. Surely there's a connection there, Toby. I'm, I'm certain of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let, 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 at least let me believe that. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, of course it wasn't. And, but I'm very sad that I wasn't uh, in Norway because that also means that the songs from 2010 they're not as uh, I don't have uh, have as a strong of a connection to those songs because I wasn't there and I didn't have time to. I could have used my spare time to listen in on on the songs, of course, but I was also a little bit, you know, a little bit put off. Bit, be yeah, you were bitter that you weren't chosen. <laughs> I was. I was so bitter. I was. Yeah. Yeah. What well, What do you think is the favorite Eurovision year that you've attended? Then, well. For me, and, and um, my favorite Eurovision moment is when Lorraine won. We went to Baku. Baku was a very, very, very strange city uh, in a very strange country. Uh, they they'd basically basically put up, up movie sets for us. Uh, 
if you took an official taxi going through uh, uh, the capital of Azerbaijan uh, from your hotel to the arena, the 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 official taxi would would drive you through streets where everything looked uh, spectacular and clean and nice and and all that. But if you took an unofficial taxi, they would drive you the quickest way, which was through the city, and you could see uh, how worn down and how poor uh, so many people were, and how how um, how they really lived. Uh, but having uh, spending time there with Lorian who actually who also got engaged with with human rights when she was there uh, and then have that that victory it was it was so amazing to be a part of the uh, of, of of the Swedes that were there because there was there weren't a lot of Swedes in Azerbaijan uh, for that contest because it was far away and expensive and stuff so uh, so that was absolutely amazing if we if we focus on 2012, so we were still on favorite Eurovision year that you've attended. Yeah. We we spoke to Steve Holden a couple of weeks ago, and he said um, Lorene and Euphoria was his favorite Eurovision song, which is another question that might still be the same answer for you, but we'll come to that. But to chat a bit more about 2012, tell us a bit more about what that was like to to be there as a Swede, because you can tell us a bit more about that journey Sweden had been on for for almost a decade with Krista Bjorkman. And I guess maybe 2011 was a bit of a breakthrough with Eric Sarda coming home with such a great result. But then for Loreen to sort of capitalise on that and then bring home a victory the following year, that must have been such a, a huge moment for Sweden. If we start back in 2010, when Anna Bergendahl uh, did not qualify, uh, that uh, made SVT um, take some drastic decisions when it came to Melfest. Uh, handing the, the rights to choose uh, songs and artists, uh, at least for half the songs in Melfest, over to to Christa Birkman and the and the and the Melfest uh, production team, rather than a jury. The jury is still around, but they choose half of the songs, and the Melfest production team chooses half the songs. And this is one of those major changes where uh, where Christa Birkman could give kind of a free card to the artists he wanted in the competition. Then having Lorian in the competition. Uh, in Melfest, people said she's the winner already after her, her heat or already before, um, uh, before competing when the songs were first, uh, were first played or released to the press. Um, she did such an amazing performance uh, and became the fan favorite all through Europe as well in those early stages. So for us going to, uh, to Azerbaijan uh, with her as our representative, it was, it, it was such a difference compared to uh, the years previously. Although I must admit that before going, be, be, before uh, um, going to Azerbaijan, when it, when it was between Lorian and Dani Saucedo, Dani Saucedo with the song Amazing, uh, I was actually uh, rooting for Danny to win because I was expecting him to be more fun to cover whilst in Azerbaijan because Danny is the guy that would go out partying at night and he would uh, meet fans, whereas Lorian would go to bed early. <laughs> but, but since the time difference is three hours, I was quite quite grateful that uh, that uh, that that. Um, uh, Danu wasn't out partying because then I would have had to work 
until very late uh, Swedish time and then go up very, very early to be able to uh, still report on everything going on. Uh, and then also together with Lorraine's commitment to human rights and that she took a stand, that she met with local human rights activists while in, in Azerbaijan, uh, making our coverage of uh, of the competition then also she made it easier for us because we we needed to if we are in Azerbaijan if we are a couple of teams in Azerbaijan uh, covering Eurovision we also need to cover this country what the hell is going on here uh, uh, how much of a democracy is this none uh, and so on uh, but but thanks to Lorian pointing at those issues we also uh, it helped us getting that that coverage and that attention and and i know that that um human rights activists in azerbaijan benefited greatly thanks to that as you say lorene just became something else really didn't she you know you mentioned how how big of a song euphoria became but i think you know the the stuff you mentioned there about the the human rights activism i don't think that gets mentioned uh, as much as it possibly could do so yeah it's it's great to see that that's a big memory for you uh and it sort of sticks in your mind so yeah wonderful to hear that i feel like are we about to talk about Lorraine a little bit more as I ask you the question what is your favorite Eurovision song of all time no uh I I love euphoria but I all I'm also so fed up with it it's um <laughs> uh, um it's 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 like it gets voted every year as as the favorite everywhere uh and I'm just like oh god yeah 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 I absolutely love it, but I, I'm I'm quite fed up with it. Uh, a couple of years ago, me and uh, me and my friends, uh, uh, whom of uh, some of them also cover Eurovision as journalists, but they're all they're all huge Eurovision fans, Swedes. We had a, we we did a complete voting of every song that has ever competed in the Eurovision. Um, so all of uh, them. Yes. So we Gosh. so we, we basically uh, went through country by country, uh, picking p- picking one winner of each country, and we did that the Melody Festival in way. We 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 had uh, uh, heats and semifinals and, and second chances and and a final for each country. Uh, so so we got uh, um, finally we got a Eurovision of each country that has ever competed and the winning song that we that we liked the most it was like a super uh, eurovision then yes and it was <laughs> it, this went on for 6 months or something we had so much fun we we did it we did it online but then we met and have had a great party at throwing the 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 eurovision final of finals um to uh to uh, crown our vin- our winner and our winner was of course Lorian with Euphoria, but our runner-up was a song that we all discovered at that uh, during that go- that when we went through those songs, and it's West Germany, 1975, Joy Fleming with "Ein Lied kann eine Brücke sein."
I absolutely love this song. I I cannot pick one favorite Eurovision song because it all be,、uh, comes down to mood and where you are in, at that very specific time. But this is a song that I've semi recently. This is five or six years ago, but but、uh, discovered、uh, lately, and and I I absolutely love it. But I could mention. Uh, Marcha with "Recht op in de Wind"、uh, from from the Netherlands, or or Samantha Janus with "A Message to Your Heart" from the UK, or、uh, Conquistador from uh, uh, from Portugal, and in in later days I could well not that much later, but、uh, Spain's Beth with "Dime,"、um, or、um, I absolutely love.、Um, A lot of songs, but I can't remember the names now. <laughs> uh, 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 I, I thought this through yesterday, but so so the, the the song I will mention foremost will be 1975. Joy Fleming, I'm I'm lead Canine Brucker sign. You need to go and watch the video,、uh, her performance on、uh, on YouTube. Well, we've just played a clip there. And I'm sure now that from from your recommendation, everyone will be flocking to YouTube to to check out her performance. It's not the song I was expecting you to say, but that's why we do this series. That's why we ask those questions because sometimes people like you have today, Toby,、uh, surprise us, which、oh, which is great. <laughs> yes, yes.、Uh, let's do most memorable Eurovision moment. You sort of teased that before and sort of suggested it may well have been、uh, 2012 in Azerbaijan. Do you think that's what it is, or are there any other moments you remember from your Eurovision history that spring to mind? Lorraine's victory, and then、um, the SVT had an after party where Kristi、uh, Bjorkman was thrown in the swimming pool, and <laughs> I、uh, I interviewed him in the swimming pool, and he pulled me down with him into the water.、Uh, that was very memorable. I've seen、uh, the way you party, Toby. I'm not surprised you jumped in the pool either. Re- that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. He pulled me down. <laughs>、uh, but then again,、um, since my main objective with being at Eurovision is being a journalist there,、uh, I, I have several other moments、uh, when. Uh, Philip Kirkorov was kicked out of the the Russian jury in 2009 because of my coverage. Because he was a close friend of, he was supposed to be the head of the Russian jury in in 2009,、uh, but、uh, he was also a close friend of of、uh, Sakis Rovas, the、um, the Greek artist. And due to my coverage of that,、uh, he was、uh, he was kicked out of that jury. Or、uh, last year, asking Moniskin what had gone on.、Uh, During、uh, in green room during rehearsals, since there was a clip sp-、uh, spreading where people suggested that that Damiano had been taking、uh, drugs, and I, I must pick you up on that in a good way, at least anyway, because I remember I remember seeing that on TV, and then I remember seeing a lot of people talk about that green room incident on Twitter. And you know it was just rumors circling for 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 a while, and then you stood up and asked that question in the winners' press conference afterwards. So congratulations, Italy. Thank、uh, you, Damiano. I have to ask this because there was a sequence during the broadcast when you are seen in the background leaning over the table and seems to be snorting something. And online, people are suggesting that you are taking cocaine. What was it? Uh, uh, Thomas break. Yeah, exactly. He's、Thomas break a glass yeah, with his leg. Too- I don't use drugs, please.、Uh, no cocaine, please. Don't say that. 
you got a lot of flack uh, online for actually asking that question. But I felt like I was in the minority at the time who who understood and respected why you actually asked that question in the first place. I guess you were putting to bed those rumours, giving them a, an opportunity to speak for themselves. I always get a lot of flack when I ask questions that are not uh, that are are not considered supportive of the artist. But at this time, uh, when the winners' press conference started, I'd seen uh, how that how that clip had spread through uh, to millions of people on Twitter. Uh, it was mostly on Twitter, uh, but it, it did spread. Um, and and there, there were cer- certain videos had around 700,000 uh, viewings. This was not what the fan community was talking about. It was perhaps not what uh, the, the main TV audience was talking about, but this was still spread to millions of, uh, of, of people online uh, putting their, um, their, 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 their repute in, in question. Had I not asked that question during the winner's press conference, there would not have been an EBU investigation into it. Uh, they, would, uh, they would probably have been asked something about it a couple of days later, perhaps a week later, when the rumor mill would have, have gone crease, uh, they would not have been able to rebuke that rumor. I read an article this year where the Spanish commentator, no, 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 the, the, the French commentator, since, since France was second last year, um, um, where the French commentator said that he was called by the French president telling him, you need to do something to disqualify Morneskin if they're taking drugs, they need to be disqualified. Uh, we need to win. We need this victory. Uh, so this rumor would have stuck with Moneskin forever had that question not been put at the winner's press conference as soon as possible for them to rebuke the rumors. Hey, your journalism goes goes very far. It, it reached the door of the French president. Who'd, who'd have thought it to? <laughs> Uh, let us go to the only new question of this year because we've we've repeated the same questions uh, from the series we did last year apart from this one uh, which is uh, how can the UK keep up the momentum following Sam Ryder's incredible performance this year how can the UK get stay at the top of the uh, of the scoreboard and I feel we're going to talk about Sweden again just in the way this this conversation is going to go I'm quite sure that Sweden <laughs> might be mentioned in the coming seconds. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, well, the BBC needs to not only rely on one single record label or one artist management to find another artist that might be as um, an equivalent of Sam Ryder. Uh, they can't go... Uh, by choosing just one name and say, okay, we've got a great artist here. Let's send uh, that artist with a song. They need to attract songwriters of the highest quality uh, and artists of the highest quality. They don't have to be really well known, but they need to have something real. Uh, And that is what Sam Ryder had um, and has. 
he he has a love for Eurovision. He had uh, he had found a, a fan base already, uh, and that's of course it's uh, uh, it's favorable if if you do have that because it will give you a little bit of a momentum. But he also first and foremost had a great song. You can either continue doing this as an internal selection, but in that internal selection, you need to be proactive in contacting artist managements, artists, songwriters. You can't expect uh, them to just send you songs and come with suggestions to you. Uh, this is what here we go, Sweden. Uh, this is what <laughs> this is what 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 Sweden has been doing uh, the last twenty years uh, to proactively work on on um, um, the record labels, uh, the music publishers, the the songwriters, together with artist management, uh, artists, and 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 work on them year by year by year. It's not something that you can do for a couple of months. You need to, if you aim for uh, Dua Lipa to be in Eurovision representing the UK, you need to start talking to somebody close to her now and you might succeed in five or six years. Um, that's how, how they've done it uh, in Sweden and that's how they have been able to attract Large, uh, big famous acts like Molly Sandin and Dani Sarsiedo and Eric Sade and Charlotte Pirelli. Charlotte Pirelli, is, she's a staple. She loves Melfest. Uh, so she will be back again. But I hope that the, the BBC Eurovision team didn't, uh, didn't say, yes, we did it, and then took a holiday for four months after Eurovision. Uh, because uh, the Melfest team, they started working on next year's... Uh, acts and artists the week after the Melfest final. Uh, and that's how it will be ongoing. And I hope that is how the BBC sees a longevity and a continue, continuity in this, that they keep on working. Because otherwise, this will just have been a one-off fluke. Does the future look bright for the UK at Eurovision, do you think? I do think so now that they have agreed to host next year's Eurovision because the UK do not want to flop uh, on home turf. Uh, so they need to uh, uh, have another success and that success can be a victory. It can be a fifth place. Uh, but they need to build on this because if they manage to do it twice in a row, um, that's that might show that they are on a roll and that they have started to find the right way, the right recipe for a Eurovision success. Yeah, I think that is the the main thing that needs to come across to um, to casual viewers of Eurovision in the UK. That even if the UK comes fifth or or even just a top ten, that is still a decent result. It shouldn't be it shouldn't be snubbed, should it? Exactly. Um, we Sweden would, of course, have wanted to win with Cornelia. We would have wanted to have uh, a second or third place. Uh, we got a fourth place. And we are celebrating that fourth place tremendously. Uh, very, very proud of Cornelia. Uh, she's, uh, she's a great success. She's been nominated to several awards already. She's, she's touring. 
she's um, she's celebrated in Sweden, and and I I do think that she would have uh, she would have been so would she have ended up sixth or eighth or tenth as well, um, and we must not forget that a song ending up twentieth in the competition is now proved to be the biggest hit in the world from this year's Eurovision. Uh, Snap, Armenia's song, is this year's biggest Eurovision hit. Uh, so even not uh, ending up in the top in, uh, in, the, in the competition can still create a hit. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see what happens next year uh, and see what the next big Eurovision hit is. And speaking about the future, the last question, probably my favourite question as well, because it allows us to sort of hypothesise and, and get inside your brain and see what you want to do. Uh, the one change you'd like to see at the Eurovision Song Contest? I, since since you, you sent me these questions so that I could think about them a, a little bit in advance, uh, I, I had... I, I, I started out going uh, everywhere with this. Uh, I wanted it to be more semifinals and fewer songs in the final and, and, and uh, perhaps more limitations or, or more limitations to, to the pre-recorded uh, voices again or large. But what I ended up with realizing is that Eurovision, the final, uh, has grown into a four to four and a half hour TV show starting at 9 p.m. for most European viewers. Uh, For Eastern Europe, it starts at 10 p.m. in the UK at 8 p.m. This is way too long. It bores people. It uh, it makes the competition less... uh, uh, The value of the competition lowers because it is way, way, way too long. So I would impose a strict three hour, 15 minutes maximum to the show. Uh, It has not been a problem in the past. The show has had 25 acts, 26 acts, but still been able to to be broadcast in just three hours, 15 minutes. Uh, I understand that the reason why they are making it longer, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's dual, it's both. Uh, so that local sponsors can show um, um, can be able to you you can you can get commercials in in those countries that show commercials that show the commercial breaks you um, you you have you will have sponsored content from sponsors uh, showing how beautiful and wonderful this country is that that is hosting uh, but also that. The local broadcasters, since the voting doesn't start until uh, until after all the songs have been performed, uh, and the local broadcasters are the ones getting the money from the local vote uh, telephone voting votes. Uh, they need that to be as long as possible uh, to to have the local broadcasters making money out of it, so that they can uh, uh, get. Um, get an income of Eurovision that is quite costly for most of the broadcasters. Uh, so but- what would you, yeah, forgive me, what would you cut down? Would you, I'm trying to think, would you try and cut down the, the length of time people get to vote? Would you get rid of some interval acts? What, would, what do you think uh, would I, work? I, I, I would absolutely cut down the, uh, the opening acts 
uh, I would cut inter- interval acts. But the interval acts are, of course, also when people vote. So I would, but I would cut them down uh, enormously. Um, remember in Israel when Madonna had still not been on stage, and I don't know how far after midnight we were. Uh, uh, and then Madonna had a 25-minute show or something um, before we would actually get uh, <laughs> to any part of the voting. It, it, was, it just went on and went on and on and on and on. Um, but also, even this year, the, it, it took like 15 minutes before the first song came on. We don't need that. We need a two- to three-minute introduction, go to the songs, uh, give us the songs and the performances. Uh, after that, start the voting, have an interval act, keep it short. Say that you only have these 10 minutes to vote. It's short, it's sweet, but if you have a favorite song, you better vote now. You can vote 20 times, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and you need to vote now. I've kept you for, for much longer than I expected, but I've got one more quick question. You always which is... do. Are you, or, is, or, or is this me talking too much? Uh, it's one of us, Toby. It's one of us. Uh, how about the can keep it at four hours long, but they start the show one hour earlier so it doesn't finish as late? How about that? I would say that is all right. But it, since it's the BBC who demands this, uh, the reason for it to start at nine in most of Europe is because the BBC has said, we do not want a show to start at 7 p.m. here. Uh, it must start at eight at the earliest. Uh, so this is, this is the rest of Europe agreeing to the BBC demands and the UK viewers demands. And I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, but... I still think that a four-hour show is too long. It will be the fans sitting and after, you know, in the fourth hour, everyone is exhausted. Everyone's tired. And you ha- we've had three-hour shows where every single vote was presented. So it is manageable, uh, but they need to cut some of the... Uh, lesser important stuff out. The rubbish. That's what you wanted to say. <laughs> that is exactly what I wanted to say. But now you can only <laughs> quote yourself on that. <laughs> oh dear. Well, that's what's going to happen, everybody. If uh, if Toby Egg becomes uh, the the boss of the Eurovision Song Contest, we're only going to have three hour, fifteen minute shows, and he's the one you can write your letters to if it ever happens. Uh, <laughs> and I, I would also like to, the broadcaster that keeps it at three hours should be probably awarded something. They, they, they should get a couple of millions back of what they <laughs> Oh, Toby Eck, uh, I expected this to be so much fun and it proved to be. So thank you once again for coming to join us here on the Eurotrip. Thanks, Toby. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to The Contest and Me, a podcast from the Eurotrip. We say it every week, and I mean it every week. Another fascinating conversation here on The Contest and Me. Toby Eck did not disappoint, and James, I was going to say neither did your questions, but actually you <laughs> didn't have to put much thought into them because it's the same set of questions every week. 
Same questions as usual. Yeah. Uh, we said at the, the top of the episode that Toby is fascinating. And, and hopefully you agree now that you've uh, you've spent uh, 45 minutes or so in his company. There's so much of that that I really want to unpick. Uh, one of them has to be, we mentioned it earlier about the time when uh, he asked Maniskin about the, the, the Green Room incident and how his journalism ended up at the door of the French president. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that incredible? That Yeah. A wild story from Toby. And also, we've mentioned it many times, and Toby mentioned Euphoria, of course. But I really enjoyed the rest of the conversation from Toby around the contest in 2012. And how, obviously, if you got an official taxi, you saw a completely different side of Baku than if you didn't get an official taxi and and everything around that. I just thought was fascinating. It's all about the taxis this year, isn't it? We had the taxi story from Toby. We had the taxi story from Paul last week. Yeah, it's, I wonder I wonder what happens next week in a taxi-related story. Uh, but also, I just get jealous whenever I chat to somebody from Sweden because they always talk about watching Melfest and watching Eurovision growing up because their music scene and growing up and all the songs they remember are always from Melody Festival. And you hear some of them and you think, oh, I wish I could have grown up with that kind of music. Yeah, and those are the songs that they just hear on the radio all the time, which is, yeah, amazing. I still see all of the Melfest artists from Melfest 2022, you know, still out there performing their songs at festivals in Sweden further afield this summer. So it's clear how much love there is for Melfest all year round. And I think that came across from uh, that chat with Toby as well. Yeah, it did. And uh, of course, Melfest uh, song submissions window for 2023 is just opened at the end of August. Uh, Have so you mentioned that because Mel- you're thinking we should do it? We should enter one? It's worth a shot, isn't it? I mean, what's the worst that could happen? Well, I mean, we, we could have our own Rimarama Ding Dong. <laughs> I was going to say, what's the worst that could happen? We could end up on stage. I don't think it would happen, but imagine. Uh, anyway, shall we leave it there? A huge thanks to Toby for joining us here on The Contest and Me this week a thoroughly thoroughly enjoyable conversation i had the conversation so i've got to say that but hopefully you enjoyed it as well we'll be back with you in seven days time for another brand new episode of the contest and me so in the meantime you can keep in touch with us and keep up to date we are at eurotrip podcast on twitter and instagram uh, hello at eurotrippodcast.com on the email and make sure you subscribe leave us a review we might read it out next week and rate us five stars from me james it's goodbye And from me, Rob, it's goodbye. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.